0: sharing your love and your grace into those situations. And we pray that the leaders of the world might step forth and seek for mercy and justice. Father, there are natural disasters that occur all the time, I think. Particularly of Japan at this time as they remember a year on from the earthquake. Many people still struggling to pick up their lives again. Father, we pray for your church in that place, that it might stand up and and show grace and love, that it might seek to reach out and, and give people hope and peace and an answer to the difficulties of life that can be found in Christ. Think of our own nation and we see the floods that are going on, other people's livelihoods destroyed and their possessions taken away. In particular, we pray for your people in those situations that they might trust in you, that they might be kept safe, and that they might gather together and reach out in love to their neighbours. We pray for the community as a whole, that through this trauma they might pull together, but more than that, that they might seek your solace and your comfort and your directing. We have a, an election coming up in this state, Father, we pray for wisdom to know how it is that we should vote, that the people you would have in power are the ones that get that place. Father, give us wisdom, not just to vote the way we always have, but to think through the issues and to seek your guidance in these matters. Father, we want whoever leads us to have an awareness of you and your purposes. Father, as a congregation, as a church, there are people who are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, in many ways. I pray that you might encourage each of us to reach out to our fellow, fellow Christians in this place, to show love, to show compassion, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to seek your face on behalf of the other. Father, we pray that throughout the week you might be encouraged to live for you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Come to one Samuel chapter eight. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons after him to be judges in his place. Getting a bit long in the tooth. Probably couldn't handle it all. Plan. His kids, though, didn't follow him. They weren't like him. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They used their power poorly. They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. Not much to learn from that because we've been studying Samuel and we remember Eli and his sons and everything we learned from them. I suppose anything I'd like to reiterate here is the, the concept that every generation has to walk with God themselves. We can't get in with God based on what our family has done, what our parents have done, what our grandparents have done. For those of us who have grown up in a Christian family, that's an enormous blessing because we've been trained and we've seen God at work and we've learned stuff as young people. But the responsibility is still ours to relate to God, to accept what Christ has done for us. And don't think that any of the righteousness that comes from Christ through an individual is transferred out to the people they love just because. Each person has to make a decision to follow Jesus and Samuel's kids didn't follow God like Samuel did. I don't want to make any blame anywhere there except to remind you that if you want to walk with God it has to be something that you do. Also to remind you of the prayer meeting that we have this afternoon. Once a month on the second Sunday we get together to pray for our loved ones who aren't Christians. I have a number of people in my family that I pray for. I actually have a little card that has their names. And i pick picked four people for this year that sits on my desk and as I go through the day I make sure to pray for those four in particular because I really want them to know Jesus more than anything else this year I'd love for them to have an opportunity to know Christ what we do every second Sunday of a month is get together and pray for the people that we care about because we know that they have to come to know Christ themselves so I encourage you if you have family members, parents, brothers and sisters uncles and aunts, grandparents who don't know Jesus yet and you're free come and join us And corporately, let's lift up these people to the Lord because we know the one who changes people's hearts is God. But moving on, the elders of Israel got together and they came to Samuel and they said, you're getting on in years, mate. A bit old. And you've appointed your sons as judges and they're not like you. They're not like you. Um, We would like a king to lead us. We, all the other nations have kings and we would like a king to lead us. And as you think about that, you'll find a bit later on that both Samuel and God get a bit ticked about that request. But on the surface, doesn't it make sense? On the surface, in some ways, it seems logical. For the past 200 years, the people of Israel have been going through this cycle of having a judge and then anarchy, having a judge and then anarchy. And really it's been going up and down and the uh, leaders are coming to Samuel and saying, we're just going to go through this cycle again. We, we want some stability. But on the surface it seems that's what they're after. They want some stability. They don't want this constant back and forth. Of course if they stopped to think for a minute they would realise that kings have kids and you can't guarantee that a king's kids are going to be any better than a judge's kids. But on the surface, it seems like they have a logical decision that they want. I think it was Malcolm Muggeridge who said that when people have a choice between anarchy and tyranny, they'll take tyranny every time. In other words, they prefer to have some stability in life. And it seems that these people are coming and saying, even though the king might have bad kids, we want to know what's going on. We want to know who's going to lead us, we prefer that to this up, down, up, down, up, down we're sick of it. It seems it's logical although if you think about it it's not as logical as that. But it's not just logical. If you go back to Deuteronomy what they're asking actually I think from their mindset, if they understood the Old Testament seems to be reasonably biblical. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses speaking, keep a body part if you've got a Bible keep a body part in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8 and turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17 going to verse 14 and it says this when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it and you say let us set a king over us like all the nations around us be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses and that's what the people have done they've kind of come to Samuel and say you remember back in Deuteronomy when it said will come a time when we want a king like those over us we're supposed to appoint the king that God chooses well now's that time we want a king give us one and then they come to Samuel the judge of the nation say we want so not only does what they do seem logical to some extent it also in some ways is in line with scripture to some extent and it seems odd then that both Samuel and the Lord get a bit annoyed at this. Why is that? Well, if we keep going down to verse 6, but when they said, this is, take your, where your body part was and flip back over to 1 Samuel 8, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, he thought he was being rejected, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. This to me has been one of the bigger challenges of this week as I've been working through this passage. You see, God doesn't just listen or understand what's on the surface. The whole understanding of this passage is these verses where God says, look, I actually see what's going on in their hearts. And I think this is a challenge for us and this is something we have to understand. The externals that we show other people, God sees right through them down to the heart. And God says about these people, all right, on the surface, everything might seem okay, but if you get deeper down, what they're actually doing is they've rejected me as king. And I've been challenged by this, and I want to pass that challenge on to you. God is interested in motives. God is interested in our heart, not just the externals. And we have to understand that and make certain sure that our motives are in line with what God wants, not just our externals. A couple of big examples and a couple of everyday examples. I've been talking to people over the last couple of weeks and on a number of topics, one of the ones that's come out is a lot of Christian folk I've been talking to have been saying things like same-sex marriage. Mm, 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 mm. Same-sex marriage, can't have that. I was married, I am married, and it's just demeaning everything that's happening to me and that's wrong. Well, do they have a point there? Yeah. Yeah same-sex marriages might do that. But what's their real motive? Their real motive is there. Everything that I've done has been taken away. Instead of arguing it, on that sense, you have to keep going down and saying, what's your real motive for saying you want to talk against this? is you she just don't like the idea of same-sex marriage? Or do you think God has appointed this? Is our motive reality saying God has instituted marriage between a man and a woman and that our, our objection to it is on God's basis not on my basis I don't have any right to stand up and make such declarations really because I don't like it what's my motive is it right to say we shouldn't have same sex I think so why on God's he instituted marriage it's what he gets to do Uh, another one that's come out kind of like associated with that and I hear a lot of Christians say oh homosexuality that's terrible it's awful It's ridiculous. But then when I start having a conversation with them, it seems that their objection is they don't like what happens. They don't like guys kissing guys or whatever else. They get offended by stuff like that. It's nauseous to them. Well, so what? I mean, boys kiss girls. They swap spit. I mean, if you think about that, that's not pretty. But we don't object to that. And we, we kind of have this personal objection. Well, I don't know that we have the right to make a personal objection. I don't like what happens. Why is it that we might say, as Christian people, that's wrong? Well, because God says it is. The only reason we have any right to be offended is because he's offended. It's not our offence. When people aren't sinning against us, they're sinning against him. And we're saying, for his sake, don't do it. And because it's in rebellion against him, don't do it. When it's an offence against us, we start to feel angry and objectionable. And there's other things that I've talked about, major issues. As Christians stand up for what's right, but they do it for their own motives, not for God's honour. And I think of everyday issues. People who come to church, why are you here this morning? Is it a habit? You do it every Sunday morning, that's what your family does. Is this a good time to catch up with your friends? are you here here to worship God to encourage and equip one another to listen to his word to pray together to worship now hopefully all of you would say well of course it's the latter but understand you might fool us I might fool you but God looks right down deep at our heart I hear people who try and make those sorts of rational statements which are good things but you actually get down and, and they're very selfish. They're very judgmental. And understand this, God looks at our motives. He doesn't just look at the outside. I think it's fascinating with King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. God looked in saw his heart. And David did some terrible things, but his motive was to serve and to worship God. That's what we're called upon to be like. But God understands that. And so God says... They're rejecting me. What they really don't want is me. They want a king like the other nations. They don't want me to serve them. And this is the second thing I have to think we have to look at today. The people were rejecting God. That was their sin. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it said there's going to come a time... When you ask for a king, and God will give you a king, but make sure that the king that you get is a king in line with keeping God as king. So if you read through the examples in Deuteronomy chapter 17, he says, the king you have, you say you want a king like all the other nations, you can have a king, but you have to have a king who doesn't raise an army. He's not going to be the one that protects you. I'm going to be the one that protects you. He's not to have lots of chariots and horses and fighting forces. If he's going to be a king, hes you want him like the other nations, but you forget that I've called you to be a people, a distinct people, a separate people, so you're not like the other nations. So whatever king you get, even though you want to have a king like the other nations, can't be like other kings. He has to be someone who doesn't raise an army. He goes further and says he's not going to have lots of wives. He's not going to have all the prestige and power like other nations do. He's not to raise up for himself lots of money. God almost says he's not to have an army. He's not to tax you so you can't get lots of money out of it. And also he's not really even allowed to set any laws. He's a king but the law that he's supposed to follow is the law of Moses and he's supposed to write it down and every day he's supposed to look through it. So his operating as a king is really in one in subjection underneath God. But what the people have said, we want a king like other nations. In the end, we'll find out, they basically say, we want a king who will go out and fight our battles for us. Now, who's been fighting their battles for the last 200 years? God has. But what's the problem with God fighting your battles? Well, God does this. He says, when you follow me, I'll go out fight your battles and I'll walk the other nations. But when you're disobedient, I'll teach you a lesson I'll let you lose. And the people are saying, we don't want that. We want a king who will do what we want. We want a king who will fight for us regardless of whether or not we follow you or not. In other words, what they're saying is, "Eh, you know, God, you've been good, cool, but we're ready for a change. We want someone else to rule us. Not someone under you, but someone separate from you. And this is the second challenge for us. To recognize that God is king. He, he made us to live under his rule. And any time we seek to do anything separate from that, we're actually being treasonous, if you like, and worthy of the condemnation and death that we get. Because when we reject his kingship, we're stepping outside of his kingdom, if you like. And that's what the people are asking for. And God rightly is against that. I hesitate to say this. I've got kids here. But you know, it's kind of like as kids are growing up, you ask them to do something and they do it. And there's this expectation that they will do so. But particularly as kids get older... They kind of want this gaining independence. Now, independence doesn't that doesn't just mean that they can do and use their gifts and abilities in ways that are good, but it also means when you say you need to do this, they'll say but. Everyone, parents have heard that but word, where they try and say, I understand that, and I know you're the parent, but really, you don't quite have it together, and we want to do this. We want to have that discussion with you as to why we should do it this way. And I found that children, young people, don't always understand that that constant questioning and trying to explain is a form of rebellion. Uh, occasionally, it's happened that you know one of my children maybe would come and say, "Can I do this?" And my answer is, "No." I'm fantastic. They come and ask and then I give my authoritative parental answer? No. Now, as far as I'm concerned, they've asked appropriately, I've responded appropriately, but then there's this discussion that's entered into where they say, okay, accept that you're the parent you've said no, but I just thought there's a few things you really need to understand. You need to understand that this is true and therefore I think you need to change your mind. No. Hold on a second. You don't, What you don't understand is... And there's this growing understanding that... We need a shift here. We need a bit more autonomy. Now, in a family, that's appropriate. It's appropriate at times for children to be more autonomous. Making I got a point. Not totally right. Dad's still here. Okay. But I my three kids. Are, right? Dad's still here. But there's that going. But with God, we don't have a growing autonomy. He's King. We somehow think that because we're in this democratic age that somehow we've matured and in the church even that there's this idea that we can talk back to God. That's treason. And even if we come up with really good ideas why we should do something differently, understand if God has said, this is how I want you to live and behave, we're allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to reason through, but our job is as kings, as people under the king, to have his word constantly beside us to say, How should we live? What is it that God wants us to do? Why? Because God wants his people to be a distinct, a separate people. We constantly have the same tendency as all these other people, which is to be like everybody else. We want to blend, we want to fit in, we want to be accepted. But God says, no, I've actually created you and made you to be my people, to be a holy people, to be a separate nation, which means if you live according to me, you will be different. One of the things that we're going to talk about on Saturday at the evangelism seminar is how do we be strong salt in the world? What is a part of this distinctiveness that we're supposed to have as we live as God's people? So Samuel says to them, don't you understand? The king that you're asking for isn't going to be like what's in Deuteronomy. The king you're going to get, and he goes through. He says, the king who will reign over you, the one that you're going to have if you get what you want because you're being rebellious, is someone who's going to start an army and he's near your sons to serve in his army and do the fighting. God's not protecting. The king is, and you're going to run out before him and if you like, protect him. Not only that, he's going to take the best of your harvest and the best of your produce. He's going to take your girls, and they'll be a part of his harem. It doesn't say it here, but it happens in the future. But it says here, he's going to make them do things for himself. They're going to cook for him, and they're going to make him smell nice by making sweet perfume. I get the cooking, but I don't get the sweet perfume. But maybe they didn't bathe as often. That was a really good thing for kings, but He'll take a tenth of your grain. He'll tax you and everything's going to be harsh for you. People say, but that's what we want. I went for a walk last night down into town. Often on a Saturday, if I'm preaching in the morning in particular, I go for a walk in the evening to practice my sermon. I need to practice my sermon. So I'm wandering along the road into town. It's about a five-kilometre walk into town. And, you know, practicing, preaching... Often the police cars drive past and they slow down. <laughs> kind of wondering what's happening. I, was, I wear my bandana often, I'm marching along. They kind of... And um, I, actually, this is an aside, by the way. I was at uh, the shopping centre yesterday and I was wearing my bandana and this this little girl, she must have been about three, was walking along with her mother. And uh, she stops and she looks at me and she said, You're a pirate. <laughs> And I said, I know, but I'm a good pirate. And she runs after him. I'm a good pirate. I'm a good pirate. But the police don't think I'm a good pirate. They slow down. But often when I get into town, there's these evangelists who are in there. And they're standing on their soapbox, which is actually just a little kitchen stool. And they're proclaiming the gospel. And I often sit down and listen to them. It tends to offend all the people walking past. And so there's this interaction that's going on. And there was a girl there yesterday, last night, who was arguing with the guy on his soapbox. And her arguments were pretty much along this line as well, we don't want a king. She said, what right has God got to rule over us? What right has God got to tell us what to do? Many ways she can get along. I, as long as I do it my way, it's all right. And she goes on and on and on. And he's, he, I think he was doing it inappropriately, he kept quoting to her, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to hell. That didn't, that didn't work very well I didn't think but she, her constant thing was I don't want to put my submission what sort of slavery is this I'm going to go into etc etc and her argument is this constant one of no I don't want that and his you're going to go to hell thing I think is there and she, she came to the point of saying well if I do have to do that I'd rather that than live under your God and that's what these people are saying. Tyranny? We prefer that tyranny to your rule. We prefer this to that. And, and the sad thing is that people don't understand the foolishness of their decision making. They just don't seem to get it. For those of us who are blessed living in the Christian faith, we have God. We know that as we come to him, we're saved and we become part of his family, and yes, we have to obey him as king, but we've got a loving and a wonderful king. We have all eternity to rule under him. It's it's, it's an amazing privilege that we have. Most of the world prefers their independence and the tyranny of life without God. I was a chaplain many, many, many years ago at Kelvin Grove State High, and one day just a quick rider on the side. My counselling technique has improved over the years. I just want to share it. Anyways, this guy walks in and he he knocks on my door and he walks in and says, "Can I talk to you for a minute, David?" Now, again, this this guy was one of the drug dealers on the on the school property, and I knew that, and he knew I knew that. Not only that, he was one of these guys who liked taking the Mickey out of me. So as I'd walk down the compound, he would bow down and try and worship Satan. He'd say nasty things about you. He was not a nice boy. And he says, "He says, Dave, can I talk to you for a minute?" And I said, "No, not really. Like I said, my counselling technique has improved." He said, "Now look, I'd really like to talk to you." And I said, "Well, yeah. Uh, you got two minutes. If you can convince me in two minutes it's worth talking to you, you can stay." And so he stands there. And I say, "Clock's ticking." He says, "I don't need two minutes." The clock's ticking down. He's got about ten seconds left. I said, "You got ten seconds left?" He said, "Yeah." That's about right. He said, I became a Christian on the weekend. <laughs> I said, come in. We'll chat. We had a long talk. We prayed together. We gave the scriptures. We talked about faith in Christ. Anyways, the interesting thing was the next week he came back and he sat down in my office. He said, all my friends are stupid. And I said, well, I, I could have told you that. <laughs> I've met your friends. He said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, throughout this last week, I've been telling them about Jesus. And how wonderful it is to know Jesus! And they—they won't listen to me. They won't accept Him. It's crazy. And I said, "Well, you forget. I told you often about Jesus, and you rejected all the time." He said, "Yeah, but I tell it better than you did." <laughs> Which I thought was not fair. But basically, the world doesn't want to hear the message. What's the reason? Is it it the blessings of Christ? No, I don't think so. I think anybody in their right mind wants to have someone who loves them enough to save them. The, The rub, the catch, is your king and I'm going to serve you. That's the rub. That's what makes people not even listen because all of us want to rebel. And that's the second thing. The first thing is God looks at our heart. The second thing is he's king. Now, those of you who are Christians, you have promised to serve him. And that means that there's lots of things that happen in life that you have to do it his way. And there's no arguing with him about it, he's king. I sometimes meet husbands You said, I know I'm supposed to love my wife, but you've never heard her nag. You don't know what she's like man she's hard to love but they come to God and say that they say you know God I know I'm supposed to love her but why can't I have a different one you know have you heard her talk (laughs) maybe there's another way to do this God and we try and rationalise it out as to reasons why we don't but guys don't think that's just you I can imagine ladies they they rock up and they say to God "I've, I've seen it happen they say Lord I know you said I'm supposed to submit but have you heard his idea He has no decision-making skills at all. And you want me to submit to him? (laughs) Please. And we have this instant idea that we can have this discussion with God about changing the way we do things. Kids, they say, look, Lord, I know that I'm a follower of yours and I know you say to obey my parents, but do you remember the ones you gave me? You know? Why couldn't I have reasonable parents? Parents like other kids have, but no, I got these people. Can we talk about this? And we, we try and rationalize this whole thing out. Lord, I know you said I'm supposed to go and evangelize people, but they don't like it when I do that. Do you think maybe we could do something a little bit different? You know, I'll wear a Christian t shirt, that'll do it. Will that take it for the time being? You know, it's hard to tell them. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to love the people around me, but they have problems. They're not quite right. They're embarrassing, or whatever it is, and we try and have these excuses because we want to do things our way. And God says, "No, I'm King," and there's no escaping from that. If you're going to follow me, you follow me. It's the second thing I think we learn from this passage. The third thing, God says to them. Well, verse 19, the people then say to God, no, we've heard that, but we want a king. We want a king like the other nations because then we'll be like them and they can go out and fight our battles for us. They can go out and they'll know what's happening. When it's a choice between anarchy, which is really the fact that you rule and it depends on whether we obey you or not as to what happens. Or we have someone else rule us, but we know for certain that it doesn't really matter what we do. We can live our own lives. We'll take this every time. And then probably the scariest part of this, God says to Samuel, listen to them. Listen to them. Give them what they ask for. I've grown up in the Christian church. I've been to church two, three times a Sunday, most Sundays since I was born. Heard this stuff all the time. And there are still parts in my life where I know what I should do and I'm still rejecting it. Where I'm still saying God I want to do it my way. And I know that God punishes sin. And I know that God doesn't like rebellion, yet still there are things in my life where I want to be rebellious. The scary bit is, I think from here, that God hands them over to it. He says, all right, you want to live your own life? You want to live a treasonous life? You want to take the consequences? Go for it. There's two groups of people in here. There may be some people in here who have not yet become Christians. You've heard the gospel. Hopefully, if you're here, you understand what Jesus has done for you. For those who come to faith. Died on a cross. He paid the penalty for our treason our rejection of Christ as king. Made it so that we can have a relationship with God. The consequences of rejecting him are an eternal separation from God. Hell. Awful, horrible. There will come a time... When God says, okay, have it your way. Suffer the consequences of your rejection. That doesn't just mean an eternal separation. There are many other smaller areas of our life, and this also happens with Christians, where we choose to be rebellious. We choose to do things our own way. Understand this. God is not there always picking up the pieces. Sometimes he says, okay, have it your way. Even to his children. You want to keep rebelling in that way? Well, have it your way. I think of marriages, Christian marriages, which break up. Where the two partners constantly rebel. They don't want to learn to submit and love one another. They want to have things their own way and eventually they break apart. And they say, God, why didn't you save our marriage? And he goes, well, I told you what you had to do. I warned you, I encouraged you, I strengthened you, but you weren't listening. So take the consequences. He says to parents, you know, you're supposed to behave this way with your kids, but they don't want you, they want time for themselves, and then they wonder why their kids leave. It just hasn't been there. God says, okay, you take the consequences of your rejection. And it goes on and on. People are fooling around with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And they say, we'll be safe. Eventually God says, well, suffer the consequences. I was doing some counselling. See, I am getting better at this. Um, With a guy during the week. And uh, he understood all the dangers of sleeping around. And uh, he went off to Thailand. And he played around. And he came back and was having a chat and he said my life's over I said why he said I got HIV he said my life's wrong I said well didn't you know that when you went he goes well yeah I said well who's su- my counselor hasn't got that much better I said well who's surprised I mean did you think it just wasn't going to happen to you <laughs> what was going on he said, Well, yeah, I kind of thought that it wasn't going to happen to me. He said, You know, I, I go to church. You know, I, I pray. It was just one failing. And God hands him over to it. He said, Okay, suffer the consequences. So I think there's that warning here as well that God is king and he expects us to serve him. And if we can constantly reject that, eventually the time comes and he says, Okay, suffer. And maybe this will teach you who are me. they're the three things God looks at our hearts makes sure our hearts are focused on him our motives are pure what is that motive to be to serve our king serve our king in the, all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength and all of our soul that he is magnified and as we do that we are the creatures we've been made to be anything less than that is treason treason thankfully Christ has come to take the penalty of that rejection of God so that those of us who have faith in him have new life. But understand, we can't keep going in those areas that we know are wrong and continue to do them. Right? We may be saved, but God says that sometimes people get in by the skin of their teeth. And I imagine as they go through the doors of heaven, they get up. You know, you're in, Christ saved you, but, you should, man, you should learn. Understand that God will hand us over sometimes to our sins. Let's pray. Father God, it's amazing that you love us. Sometimes we think that. You made us to be your followers. You made us to be your creatures. You made us to serve you, to honour you, to glorify you. You promised that as we did that, we would have an abundance of life and joy and fruitfulness in what happens. And yet still, even we who have known the benefits of Christ Jesus still reject your lordship at times. Father, still there are times when our heart just seeks to do what we want to do. Father, I pray that your spirit might continue to work in our hearts to change us so we're not like that. That our our heart motivation is in line with what you want, that we seek to serve you. Father, I think of those many people who reject your kingship because they want to rule their own life. Father, help us to have the confidence to share with them what those consequences are and what the joy is of coming back and serving you. Father, for those of us who who are your children, help us not to lose sight of your lordship, that you are our master. And help us in this coming week to seek to live and serve you for your glory. Father, may it never be that we reject you so much that you just hand us over to the consequences of our rebellion. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name.